All right, rambunctious bunch. Got a leaf blower, got the belt line, got dogs behind us. We've got all kinds of fun things going on. There's lots to watch and lots to look at. So uh, I just like to look up in the trees sometimes. It's fun to do that. But I think the most distracting thing for me is also one of the most beautiful is watching Amanda up here sign. What a gift that we have that going on. It's beautiful. So we are continuing our series, The Call of the King, uh, asking hard questions about the priority we are given Jesus in our lives, um, because it's easy for us to get our priorities out of order and put things that we profess and we know to be more important down into lower priorities and the, the distractedness of life, the pressures that we face. So uh, just a heads up, these next couple weeks, I'm going to be gone. Uh, we have Mike talking about service and servanthood next week. And then the following Sunday after that, uh, Darren Williamson will be sharing a message with us. He's going to be talking about uh, the role of deacon. Uh, and he has some good things to say. And he's going to talk, I think, in a Sunday school class before that. You want to be here for that about some of the challenges they faced at Kaiser with their deaconship. Challenges of um, uh, distraction, not really uh, investing in the role, not really having clear work to find. There's a whole bunch of like uh, issues that they've had to spitball that I think might be valuable for us as we learn how to do this better. Uh, to encourage our deacons, uh, I think we're going to start a process looking at new deacons as well. And so uh, you'll want to be here for that. So I'll be doing a men's retreat in um, Idaho this next week. So you can say a little prayer for me. I've got a lot of teaching work to do for that. And, uh, and it's a big topic that they want me to talk on. So I'm a little overwhelmed with it, but excited for it as well. And I'll be uh, doing this retreat up at uh, a camp up in the woods it is where I kissed my wife for the very first time. So it has a special place in my heart. But the question she asked me after I kissed her for the first time, it still haunts me to this day. Why did you do that? Uh, the following week, we're going to go see our oldest daughter and new son-in-law in Tennessee and uh, get to spend a little time with them. So uh, then we'll be back, and we'll continue on with things here. But these next couple of weeks, we got some great things to look forward to. Thank you again for joining us here at uh, our Smoky Woods edition of uh, the Eugene Church of Christ. So have you made Jesus your king in truth? That is a question we need to just keep chewing on. Because we all find ways to move away from the truth of that question. Is Jesus my king in truth? And the truth is, if you haven't made Jesus your king, there are costs to that. And it's also true that we play games of distraction. All the reasons why we think it's best to keep his lordship at arm's length. But the real renovation work of our hearts, I believe it begins in earnest 
when we come to look upon and gaze upon the beauty of Jesus himself. Then suddenly my faith is not a you should and you ought. It becomes the very desire of my heart. It takes over all other loves and all other priorities. It changes me from the inside out. You see, your king is the most beautiful human being to ever walk the face of this earth. And we've been looking, spending time looking at different aspects of his beauty. And his beauty is seen in his call and in his person. The call of the king is an announcement of the immediate availability of life in the kingdom of heaven now. That we don't have to wait. We simply come and step in. And that call is a call to be in relationship. And part of the goodness of that call is it requires action on our part. We have to go looking for God. God is hidden in some ways. God invites us into a journey of discovery, into a journey of pilgrimage. You see, God is love and love wants to be chosen. Love wants to be sought. Love wants to be discovered. And the wonder and mystery of the goodness of the call of King Jesus is that simultaneously Jesus is our road map. Jesus is our constant traveling companion. And Jesus is, in fact, our destination. So have you ever had a car that was worthy of a name? A car that had enough character about it that you named it a special name. We only have one car on our fleet. Uh, right there, the little tangerine orange one named Vector over there. That has a special name right now. And uh, one of my first cars was a very special car. It was the kind of car that was more like a land yacht going down. Do you know what I mean? Like you'd hit a pothole or something and it would just kind of float along. It almost feels like you're on the waves of water. And uh, it was the kind of car that other cars feared. Because uh, on two different occasions, people ran into that car and uh, did damage to their own vehicles, but not that solid chunk of American steel. A 69 Mercury Montego with a 351 in it. I bought that car for a dollar from a friend of my parents, and it had the name McTavish. Well, McTavish had one of these bench seats that just kept going, you know, and it was it was a kind of bench seat that's long enough that if if your girl wanted to and you were not diligent, she could escape your reach. That bench seat was that long. So you try to keep your girl a little closer. Well, McTavish was that kind of car for me. And I think about a road trip together with Jesus, and it's kind of become an image of my pilgrimage in this life. That, uh, you know, you can make all these different cases. He's the fuel for that car. He's the car. He's my traveling companion. But I think of Jesus in the seat of that car with me. And we're on a destination together. And he's helping me as my navigator. And he's teaching me certain things. Certain things about the dangers of the road ahead. You know, he never grabs the steering wheel out of my hands. God doesn't violate us that way. 
And when we do not choose to follow the directions that He gives us, He doesn't cut off relationship. He doesn't give up on us. He constantly is there with us. And then sometimes in the wonder and mystery, when it begins to break through and I begin to see the beauty of my traveling companion and realize I'm so busy trying to go somewhere and where I'm trying to go is actually on the seat right next to me here. It's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming thing. He helps us get where we're going. He is where we are going. And one of the ways He helps us as a traveling companion is by teaching us certain things. He teaches us things. So I want to talk today about the goodness of Christ's call. It is a call to become His student. He's our teacher. He's our best teacher. Your king is a teacher like no other. But again, he's not a teacher who coerces us or overrides our free will or grabs the steering wheel out of our hands. You see, your king, as your teacher, he doesn't force you to come to his school. He doesn't force you to take his classes. You can play hooky all you want. Now, there are costs if you play hooky at school. Um, how did they keep attendance at the schools you were a part of when you grew up? You could usually miss a certain amount. and See, your teacher doesn't do that. You have to choose to be his student. You have to make that choice. And that takes a certain humility on our part because it always takes... Humility, being a student or being a disciple. And part of the burden of our culture is that none of us look, likes to look like a student. None of us likes to look like we don't know what's going on. So we project this image of, I've got it together, I know, and I... And so the situations that reveal our ignorance and our stupidity sometimes... We avoid things like that, situations like that, with a plague, like a plague. So it takes humility on our part to become his student. But when we do, and when you take the teachings of Jesus and you apply his teaching to your real life and real life situations, you discover just how good those teachings are. So I keep coming and circling around to this Matthew 11:28 through 30 passage. There's just it's so beautiful, it's so dense, there's so much there. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that phrase come to me. We talked about come to me. Now we're talking about learn from me. Learn from me. And the reason why we're safe to come to Jesus, our King, as our teacher is because He is a teacher who is gentle and humble. Humble of heart. See, the call of the King is a call to be in relationship. But another aspect of the goodness of Christ's call is that it is a call to, in fact, learn things. A call to be students. A call to be a disciple. 
Tell me about your school. Think about your school experience. Did you have a good school experience? Elementary school, school later on. Maybe you're in the thick of it now. You're in middle school. You're in junior high. You're in high school. College. Think about your school experiences. Some of the best lessons you learn in school, maybe they weren't even in the classroom. But you might be thinking, you know, school is not my thing. Not everyone has had pleasant school experiences. School is a source of angst or misery for a lot of people. Uh, Because school is a place where you face embarrassment of not knowing certain things and the risk of appearing foolish. And you felt it, some of us, growing up, feeling foolish around your peers, the laughter of other kids. And in a school, you learn how to pretend to know things that you really don't know. And if you're honest, you're learning about things that you don't even really care about. That defines a lot of people's school experience. Something to be endured. And just as an aside, the idea of becoming a student keeps a lot of older people from turning to the Lord as well. Uh, keeps people from becoming Christians because at this part, in this phase of life, and you're in these golden years, I don't want to look like a kindergartner in spiritual things. And so we keep that, at, we keep ourselves at arm's distance from truly coming to Jesus as our teacher who has things to teach us and that we have things to learn. But one of the ways our king expresses compassion to us is through his teaching. So Mark chapter 6, verse 34, we read that Jesus landed and saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a, sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So what does Jesus, what does he do when he sees sheep without a shepherd? His compassion moves him to give people instruction and give them direction and give them teaching that can help them, that can save them, that is useful to them. That is his compassion to be our teacher. And we just need to say a word about how practical Jesus' teaching is. It's not just platitudes or things to sew onto pillows or bumper stickers. or It's teaching that if you actually give yourself over to it in obedience, not just leaving it as a theory and an idea and a nicety, but you actually try to live it, You discover the truth of it. You discover the power of it. You discover there is value in these teachings. See, what Jesus teaches is He teaches us a way of life and a life that is truly life. So as human beings, there are certain existential level questions that we all have to ask. Um, Questions that have transcended the ages, transcended cultures, 
people have been asking these questions from the very beginning. Questions like, what is real? Questions like, who is well off? Questions like, who is a good person? Who's a good person? Questions like, how do I become that good person? And you can put Jesus Christ up against all the greatest teachers in human history. And really, there's no one like Jesus. We just got to own sometimes that our king, he was a man, but he was a brilliant man. He was a brilliant man. He was a master teacher. He was a rabbi like no others. So uh, one of the areas that you look at, okay, so like modern psychology. Who are some of the fathers of modern psychology? So you, you talk about who is a good person. So if you have Skinner, his view of a good person is someone who helps minimize suffering from people. For Freud, a good person is someone who helps people analyze their situation, become more self-aware. For Jesus Christ, his answer, who is a good person? He says, someone who is pervaded by love. And you look at the psychological and spiritual benefits of becoming a person pervaded by love. No one can hold a candle to Jesus Christ. Jesus' answer to what is real is God and His kingdom. God and His kingdom is what you can bank on. That's what you can count on. That's what you have to come to terms with. Do I believe this kingdom's real? And right away, right off the bat, Jesus' answer to that question of what is real, it loses a lot of people. Because he is basing the core of reality in something that by and large is it's invisible to us. It's beyond our immediate senses. It's beyond our immediate experiences for some of us. But we have to come to terms with that. Who is well off? Jesus says it's anyone who is in this kingdom. Anyone who is alive in the kingdom of God. He says there was no one greater than John the Baptist when John the Baptist was here. But I tell you the truth, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than this man. Greater. Because of the blessing associated with being in that kingdom. Under that lordship. Who is a good person? Jesus' answer. Anyone who's pervaded by love. Whose life has become a life of love. How do you become a good person like that? Well, people try to become a person filled with love a lot of different ways. But Jesus' answer is, you become my student. You become my apprentice. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. See, your king wants to teach you things. Things that you desperately need to understand. We all have things we need to understand. Things we're starting to understand. We're all in process in what we're learning. 
things we need to know about reality, things we need to know about what is important and priorities and what you can count on, things you need to know about yourself because we are largely self-deceived people, things that you need to know about others, about what information you can trust. What is information that's trustworthy enough that you can build a life on it? That's important for us to figure out. We need to know how do you succeed in this life? How do you define success even? How about just the survival question? We're all trying to figure out how do you survive? But you try on the teachings of Jesus Christ, you walk that path of discipleship. You know, I had a time in my life where I thought, I don't think I want to be a Christian. I see a lot of duplicity. I see a lot of lack of humility. These people aren't talking about, I mean, they talk about this good game, but the reality of people's lives, I see this broken all the time. I was blind to my own hypocrisy, my own brokenness, my own need. And I just felt like, you know, I need real information so I can learn how to survive. And the Lord orchestrated certain things, His Holy Spirit at work, His Holy Spirit working through godly people who helped turn me around. My parents did a lot of praying, I think, right, Mom and Dad? And I thought, okay, I'll come back, but I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And when I get to the bottom of this, and if I don't like what I see when I get to the bottom of this, I'm done, I'm out. There's no bottom. <laughs> it's further on and further in. It's richer. It's deeper. It means more. I've learned more about myself. I've learned more about other people. I'm in process learning what it means to become a man of God who's pervaded by love. I see that as the most important thing in my life. Jesus has so many things to teach us. So many things that we need to learn. But I think one of the most important lessons that Jesus teaches us, that we have to, it has to be foundational because so many other teachings build off of this. Jesus teaches us by example that you can trust God. You can trust God. You may not understand God. You may not understand God's Word. You definitely probably don't understand all of God's people. But you can trust God. And one of the things that you have to come to terms with is God is good. God is good. He's not against you. He doesn't want to rub your f mistakes in your face. God's not like that. God is good. God doesn't crash airplanes. God doesn't kill babies because He wants another angel in heaven. God does not do evil. God does not do evil. And that's hard for us because God 
in this world gets blamed for a lot of really bad things happening. In this world, it seems most people think God is not safe. And so many people suffer under a burden of, you know, God is against me. And someday he's just going to, and that's it. We have that sense that God is not for me. You need to run from God. You need to hide from God. And I'm not saying this that we should minimize the complexity of the world as we see it and understand it. That God allows in this world agents who have a free will and who have the possibility of choosing evil and sometimes great evil. And you get enough of those people together and that evil spiral just seems to spin out of control. We live in a world with tremendous suffering, with heinous evil, and God allows that evil to exist, evil that causes great human suffering. And that's why Jesus' teaching is so important to us. Jesus' teaching is so crucial. And that's one of the lessons that we need to learn looking at the beauty of Jesus, trusting Jesus, coming close to Jesus. You know, for a long time I thought, Jesus is the shield that protects me against the wrath of God the Father. I need that shield because God is dangerous. And as you go along in this journey, you realize He's not a shield to protect you against God the Father. He's a window showing you what the heart of the Father's really like. And the most important lesson so many of us have to learn is that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. So the call of the King is the call to learn from the example of Jesus Christ and to learn that you can trust God the Father. And with Jesus as our teacher, we move from faith to faith. What does it mean to move from faith to faith? We progress from things that we believe easily, that as we grow, as we change, as we grow in our understanding, we grow from things we believe easily to things that are more difficult, that take greater faith and greater trust. And so Jesus, He leads us primarily in this regard by the example that He sets. He is unwavering in His trust of God the Father. No matter the circumstance, no matter... You see this level of intimacy with His Father that just does not quit. Even when people are killing Him and torturing Him. I like the way the author of the uh, Hebrew letters writes, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, chapter 12, 1 through 3, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because we 
have to endure opposition so many times. And unless you fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, it is very easy to lose heart. To lose heart. King Jesus is the ultimate teacher because even when his faith cost him his life, his unwavering trust in the goodness of God and the ability of God the Father to take care of business, he never steps back from that. And that is the power that makes dead things alive again. See, I just you look at all these aspects of King Jesus, who he is in his message, who he is in his person. I, I'm not finding an end to this. It just keeps getting richer and brighter. And he's the, okay, what's another analogy? Your king is the Swiss army knife of all kings. He's got a tool for every situation you can come up against. Your king is the teacher you need. Your king, he is the priest you need. Your king is the friend that you need. The goodness of King Jesus and his calling is that it's a call to relationship. It's a call to pilgrimage. It's a call to learning, to be a disciple, to be an apprentice. To make Jesus your teacher. It's good. That's a good thing. So now let's expound upon the goodness of his person. We've talked about characteristics that define the lordship of Jesus, his kingship, uh, the way he reigns, the things that come bubbling out of his heart, the way he treats us. So we've talked about his compassion. We've talked about his humility. To close today, I want to talk a little bit about his power. Again, this is just scratching the surface. See, the power, when I think about my power, I have a certain amount of power. So my body is a certain battery pack. So if, if, if I am a little Tesla battery, I am a, a new 4680 battery uh, designed for Tesla vehicles. Almost no one's going to know what, what in the world is this guy talking about. That's okay. So I'm a battery. This body is a battery. We got a lot of batteries out here in the woods. We have your body is your uh, primary way that we manipulate our environment, that we express our will. Somehow, when when we have associations of other people, we can use words sometimes, and those words will make other batteries move and act on maybe our behalf. Sometimes other batteries do their own thing. My body is a little power pack. My power pack is limited. The, the shape of my power pack has changed. It's sprouting things that never used to sprout in places you don't want sprouts. Power packs change. It's a limited power pack. You know, one of the ways that we actually grow and become younger and younger, that you have the potential to grow and become younger and younger, so think about all the fruit of the Spirit. There are things with no law against them. There's no limit to them. Uh, the spiritual life of what you can become, we just become younger and younger the more we become like Jesus, even while the battery pack is getting older and older. And that's not, it's not just a completely altogether happy analogy because our spirituality is tied to our bodies and stuff too. 
But you can see this. I, I have known old people. They just have a glimmer in their eyes and the kind of life that they lived. They are childlike. And so some of them, I have this joyous memory of the lady who gave me my little uh, ocarina thing. She'd be like fighting cancer, 84 or 85 years old at the time, dancing with Haley when Haley was just a little baby. And just that beauty of youth coming out of this old shell. It was such a stark contrast to me. And in Jesus Christ, we have the potential at least to become younger and younger, more and more beautiful, deeper and further on and further in. But the power of my love, it is limited. Your king doesn't have that problem. He has love, and he's not even limited to the same battery packs that I'm limited to. He lived in a battery pack for a while, and he overcame in that battery pack. And the power of who he is in his person, it's a power of love that is so strong that it raises the dead. It's a power of love that is so strong that it creates something out of nothing. Matter that didn't exist is spoken into being. That is power. So one of the hardest things I've found about being a parent, one of the things that has caused me to realize my own limits, my own powerlessness, is the things that I have discovered that I am not capable of protecting my child's from, my children. Um, simply put, I do my best, but I lack the power necessary to protect them from every bad thing that's going to come their way. So the most scared I've ever been in my life, there have been a couple moments. Uh, Sadie is a baby. She had whooping cough. That was awful. Uh, but one I really remember, too, is uh, our oldest daughter, Caitlin. Uh, she got salmonella poisoning. And we were in the middle of nowhere. We didn't know how to get medicine to treat her. We, I had to drive to this medical facility that, and beg them. They don't usually just see normal people, but it was the only place that could do testing to find out. And eventually they agreed for a large sum of money. We got this figured out, salmonella poisoning. And so I felt the powerlessness of a father watching his daughter shaking and just fever and crying out on the toilet with cramps. And she'd be there a half hour and only be able to squeeze out a few drops of blood. And I felt powerless. And if I could, if I had the power, I would have taken that suffering off of her and put it on myself. But I didn't have the power. I didn't have the power necessary to do that. Your king does not have that problem. Not only does he have compassion and humility to come near to us in our areas of greatest need, but he does have all the power necessary, all the resources necessary to take care of business for us. He takes care of business for us. 
And he even allows us to access some of that power when we begin to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Primarily, you and I do that through prayer. We do it through prayer. So to understand the power of our king, I'm going to read two verses and we'll be done. The Apostle Paul and John, they say this so much better than I could ever say it. This is from Colossians 1.15-20. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This is the power of King Jesus. Do you get what Paul is saying here? Jesus is the one who made it all. Jesus is the one who holds it all together. What kind of power is that? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I get chills reading that verse. And I look at the seat, my bench seat and my McTavish 69 Mercury, and I realize sometimes, who is this man sitting next to me? Wow. Maybe even more striking are John's words from Revelation chapter 1. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He'd been exiled there. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll all that you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Your King Jesus has all the power you or I or anyone could ever need because He created it all. He holds it all together. He has control over life and death itself. That's the king you need. Ron, you can come up here. That's the king you need. That's the priest you need. That's the teacher you need. That is the friend you need. We have all of that available to us. Right next to us. And we're just blind to it most of the time, honestly. But in His goodness, He has made a way for us by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. You can know God is safe for you to trust and that you can spend a lifetime learning to love Him and serve Him, growing in friendship, growing in your ability to trust enough and have humility enough. Okay, Jesus, You. There are all these voices competing for my attention, but You. You are the one I choose as my teacher. That's available to you. Let's uh, stand and sing together.